The Life of General Belisarius, Victories at Rome. Belisarius allowed 25 days to rebuild as much of Rome as he could and make preparations for Totila's arrival. On the 26th day, Totila, who had first intelligence of the audacious project of his enemy, had hastened by forced marches from the Adriatic and appeared in sight of Rome. He encamped on the banks of the Tiber. Enraged at the sudden loss of a city so lately and so laboriously subdued, he did not delay the onset beyond the morning after his arrival. And during the few hours which he allotted for sleep and rest, his army was augmented by Goths from Algidus. At the earliest dawn of the day, the barbarians advanced to the charge, and the steadfast resistance of the garrison redoubled the animosity of their attack. Goaded by a sense of shame and disappointment, they displayed the most dramatic and determined valor, while on the other hand, the spirit of the Byzantines was upheld by the very urgency at the dangers around them. They fought, says Procopius, for a far greater resolution than could have been expected from them, and this courageous conduct of the troops, whom on so many other occasions we have seen terrified fugitives and unwarlike mutineers, may show how great is the ascendant which the pervading mind of a hero can exert. Their station on the ramparts enabled them to pour down a thick shower of missiles, which the Goths could not have effectively returned and a great slaughter of the latter accordingly ensued. Yet they did not desist from their assault until night, when the prolonged engagement had rendered both armies alike faint and breathless with fatigue. Returning to their former encampments, the Goths spent the night of darkness in dressing their wounds and refreshing themselves with food and sleep, but their unwearied antagonist continued watchful against the nocturnal surprise, and provident for the next encounter. By his care, sentinels were posted on the walls, and the guard of the gates was entrusted in rotation to detachments from the bravest of his soldiers, while others rendered each entrance less accessible in the future by fixing a great number of tribalt or fourfold iron spikes before it. The next day, the Gothic monarch led his forces in a second assault. They were again beaten back, and Belisarius seized the moment when they appeared with their ranks disordered and their strength impaired to charge them in a vigorous sally. A great number of the Goths were put to the sword, and the remainder fled in confusion, and the hope of Totila to enclose and cut off the Byzantine troops in their pursuit was baffled by the prudence of Belisarius in supporting them with fresh reinforcements and, re and securing their return. The result of this double disaster compelled Totila to remain inactive for a considerable time. He had lost his bravest warriors, and the rest were disabled and with wounds or dispirited by failure. While their shattered armor and broken weapons bore testimony to the fierceness of the combat, after an interval of many days, the barbarians recruited by, by sleep once more issued from their camp to renew their enterprise, but the result of this attempt proved still more unfavorable to them than either of the other two. Even before they reached the ramparts, the troops of Belisarius came forward to meet them in the field, and an obstinate engagement immediately began. In the course of the conflict, the officer bearing the royal standard of Totila fell from his horse, pierced by a mortal wound. It was with difficulty that the Goths could rescue this precious trophy and leave the enemy no cause for exultation. They hastily severed the left arm of the corpse and secured a massive bracelet of gold on which it was adorned. Later in the day, the Goths were completely routed and giving up all hope of storming the city. They commenced their retreat upon Tivoli. Amidst the crowd and the confusion of their flight, we are assured that a greater number had perished in the river than had fallen in the field. 
To prevent pursuit and intercept communications of the Byzantines, they broke down all the adjacent bridges to the Tiber except the Milvian, which was protected by its neighborhood to Rome. Hence it appears that their encampment must have been upon the Tuscan bank, otherwise the river would not interpose between them and their destination. Their departure enabled Belisarius to complete and improve his measures for defense. New gates were constructed and and affixed. The keys of Rome were for the second time sent in triumph to Justinian. Meanwhile, the Goths entrenched themselves upon the rugged heights of the Tivoli, and in their consternation began rebuilding the walls of that city which they themselves had recently demolished. The late reverses had been most injurious to Totila, not merely from the loss that they occasioned, but from the subsequent decline of his influence and popularity. The rapid successions of regicides and usurpers on the Gothic throne had abated the respect of the people for prerogative and made it the power of the sovereign dependent chiefly on the prosperity and splendor of his reign. While Totila had been victorious, the Goths, enriched by pillage and elated with success, had loudly celebrated his genius and military skill, but now with equal eagerness exclaimed against his policies as short-sighted and unreasonable. He ought either, they said, have leveled Rome to the ground according to his original purpose, or taken effectual means to secure its possession to himself. In a long and elaborate harangue, the king endeavored to regain their esteem and dissipate the awe and misgivings of the late exploits of Belisarius that had stuck in their minds. Being well aware that the discontent is often caused and increasingly by inactivity, he did not allow his soldiers to linger long at Tivoli, but led them south to Perugia as to a useful and easy undertaking. Scarcely, however, had the city been invested before Totila received intelligence of another mischance, less hurtful to his interests than humiliating to his pride. His hasty march against Belisarius from southern Italy and the defenseless state of that country had suggested to John the Sanguinary project to free the Roman senators and their family from the thraldom to which the Gothic monarch had consigned them. Setting off accordingly with a body of chosen horsemen, he proceeded towards Campania with the utmost secrecy and speed. On the other hand, Totila, apprehensive of some such scheme, had, before leaving Tivoli, detached a share of his cavalry to secure his captives against rescue. It so chanced that the vanguard of the squadron entered Capua precisely at the same time the troops of John was sanguinary. A conflict ensued, the barbarians were worsted, and the tumultuous retreating upon their comrades involved in their flight. Thus the field was left open to the Byzantine officer. He found in the companion cities wives of nearly all the Roman senators, but a smaller number of their husbands, since many of the latter had provided for their personal safety by following Bessius from the capital, leaving their families at the mercy of the Goths. These illustrious exiles were respectfully dismissed by John to await in the tranquil and luxurious province of Sicily, final event of the war. In the meantime, the Gothic cavalry continued their retreat after the skirmish at Capua, appeared in the presence of their king before Perugia, hoping to defend their own cowardly behavior, brought him false and overcharged accounts of the numbers of the enemy. Their partial statements would probably have been suspect and disbelieved by the calmer judgment of this wary monarch, but inflamed with anger at the disappointment of his scheme and the release of his prisoners, was not willing to regard the forces of John as considerable. In order to justify himself and to his army his wish of indulging his resentment for a personal expedition against them, with a body of 10,000 men, the best of his troops, he marched into southern Italy. 
and then approaching the station of his enemy, quitted the level road, advanced through the mountainous and almost impassable tracks, thus eluding observation of these outposts, which, as he rightly conjectured, had been placed by John the Sanguinary to provide against surprise. But such means the Byzantine squadron, as far inferior strength, was surrounded one evening by the troops of Totila before it had received the slightest intelligence of their progress. Had the king deferred his attack until the next day, every Byzantine soldier, at least according to the opinion of Procopius, would have been taken as in a snare. But his, his headlong animosity prompted him to give the signal for an immediate onset. The Byzantine troops were overthrown and scattered at the first charge, but the darkness favored their flight, and John himself, with the greater part of his followers, soon found himself secure within the ramparts of Otranto. So we're winning and, and losing at the same time. But we're going to have some problems, as usual, with the emperor coming up. Now the sources for this, the Wars of Justinian by Procopius, Short History of Byzantium by Norwich, Byzantine Art of War by Decker, Byzantine Armies, 324 to 1453 by Turnbull, and The Life of Belisarius by Mahone. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.